Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. As you know, all this month, I am highlighting podcast hosts from other podcasts, both inside and outside of the physical therapy world. And today, I'm happy to have on the host of the Academics Mean Business podcast, Lindsay Padilla. Dr. Lindsay Padilla is the founder of Course Power, a company that helps trailblazing entrepreneurs create student-centered courses, content, and communities that get their clients A-plus results. Using her tenure-track year spent teaching adults online at a community college and the ridiculous amount of learning she has done in all things education, her team specializes in supporting digital entrepreneurs with the early stages of course or program creation with a focus on optimizing content and elevating the experience using student feedback. With this unique background, she is also the rambunctious host of the Academics Mean Business podcast, which shares the journeys of other academics who have started businesses. And in this episode, we talk about why Lindsay left academia to pursue entrepreneurship, how to create and optimize a business with an academic background, and does expertise and value need to be understood by the public to sell a course? And finally, do you need an academic degree to sell knowledge online? And lots, lots more. So this is a jam-packed episode. I want to thank Lindsay for coming on, and thank you all for listening. Hey, Dr. Lindsay, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you on. I'm excited to be here. This is going to be a fun conversation. And you know, this whole month, I am highlighting other podcast hosts, so some podcast hosts that happen to be physical therapists and have physical therapy-related podcasts, and some like yourself who have an unrelated, yet maybe yeah. strangely related Yeah, podcast. there's some parallels, I think, between I think our shows. Is. So why don't you go ahead and let the listeners know a little bit more about your show? Of course. Uh, so like uh, Karen had mentioned, I host a podcast and it's called Academics Mean Business. And we've basically been kind of recording since January. I think I've been releasing podcasts. And essentially the, the makeup of the show is me interviewing um, academics who've started businesses whether they're side hustles or they've entirely left academia altogether, it kind of runs the gamut. I even interview people who started PhD programs and decided to drop out. Um, so I do want to kind of show the whole, uh, the whole experience of what someone would consider themselves as an academic. We even get into that a little bit, of course. Like, are you actually truly an academic if you've, if you've left the institution and you're no longer teaching or researching? Which um, I've landed on that, yes, I am. Uh, my husband is the other one who is kind of uh, up in the air about that. He's also, um, uh, he was a professor as well and has a PhD in, in physics. And so the two of us left the academy together um, in fall of 2016 and all based on me running my business. And so 
um, for him, he felt like as a physicist, you're not allowed to say that. And so I think that's also interesting as well. Um, so yeah, so my show is really just kind of highlighting the story, the, the decisions that we made along the way, the way we were feeling. And it's been a beautiful, really therapy practice for me, actually, because it's um, helped me a lot kind of deal with the identity um, issues that come up where I thought I was going to be a professor forever. I thought I found my, my calling. Um, and in some ways I still feel like that, that was my calling. It's now just bigger. Um, and so I've done a lot of healing through listening to other stories and not feeling alone. It was a big part of, um, being an academic who started a business. And I love that you said, I'm still an academic. I'm just mm. doing it bigger. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great way that people can kind of shift their mindset a little bit if they do leave a traditional academic setting. Exactly. So let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about academics, PhD. If you're a PhD student, you've finished your mm -hmm. PhD, you're, you've been a professor for a while and you're thinking, I, I think I want to kind of do my own thing. Yes. So what sort of tips do you have for people who might be thinking that's where they want to go. Yeah. So um, there's, there's a lot of places I could go with tips. So the first one I would say is, um, you know, start kind of following people online and kind of taking in what the online kind of entrepreneur space looks like. I, that was something that um, I stumbled into, I guess. And so you might be listening to this and being like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know this was a, a reality, right? So go poke around a little bit, listen to some podcasts um, of people who have online businesses. Um, because I think some of those first initial steps, at least from an academic perspective, I like wanted to study, right? Like how can I get, <laughs> how can I get a degree in like online business, right? And um, even if the degree was through experience. Um, so yeah, that's like one of the first things is just kind of dip your toe in and see like what's out there um, and how people are making money online because I, um, you know, one of the things that surprised me about it when I kind of, I still say that like I accidentally started a business, but one of the things that surprised me about it was that there's, it's, there's not a lot of overhead, right? And so you can kind of play and not, um, you know, not have to have a brick and mortar essentially that you, when I thought of a business, I thought of, I have to have a storefront and I have this, you know, physical product potentially, or, you know, it would cost me all this money to do that. And starting an online business, um, you can do it like, you know, what we would say, like bootstrap level of like, you know, spending money here and there, but nothing as like, not as much as you would imagine. And so that was surprising for me. So when I started to kind of pay attention to what was possible, um, it just felt like the world kind of opened up. And from there, I kind of stumbled into it. Um, I would say the other tip is, and this is big and has come through in my podcast and my interviewing, I think I've interviewed about 45 or 50 guests now. Um, and, you know, one thing that I would say what that helped me and then multiple other guests who are doing both um, or in a transition to leave. So this works then for also someone beginning is really kind of look at your time that you give to the institution. And there's 
there's this part of academia that is kind of, I don't know, it's like unspoken. It's not unspoken, but it's expected um, that we give a lot of our time back. And in many cases, we're actually not compensated back for that time and particularly fairly, but that's a whole other conversation. And I was on the union um, at many of the institutions I taught at. I taught at a community college also to give you some context, which may be different if you're at a four-year um, but I, uh, you know, we negotiate in our contracts how much time we spend on committee work, how much time we spend on personal, professional development, um, how much time we're supposed to spend, you know, giving back to the institution with our students, of course, in office hours and that kind of thing. And look at your contract and think about where am I overgiving? And typically on campus, you know, there are professors that are looked down upon because they're not pulling their weight. And then there are these other professors who are seriously, seriously overworked um, and, you know, running everything on campus, right? And so I, when I started my business and kind of had my first semester where I was like, kind of running a full-time business, actually, um, you know, quote unquote, on the side. Um, I just started basically making those decisions. Okay, my contract says I need to be on one committee. I'm not going to be on two or three like most of my colleagues. Um, my contract says I have to be on campus at, you know, between this hours and have this many in office hours. I can do that, right? And so I started to take back my time um, from the institution and invested it in myself and in building um, something on the side uh, because... Um, you know, I uh, personally, I, I think they are kind of sucking a lot of us dry and we'll see our colleagues that are so burned out by the end that no wonder why they don't want to be on any committees, right? And so it's those kind of, that overgiving that I think is expected. Um, and I think the institution kind of exploits our passion for teaching and learning and loving on our students. Um, and it's exploited in certain ways where, you know, that the expectation of what a good, you know, colleague looks like, um, but then also the demands that are coming from administration that just keep piling on without similar pay increases, um, particularly in California, which is a whole other discussion about our budget, but um, particularly after the recession. But um, that, I think, is, is probably happening at most institutions um, uh, around the globe, right? So those are probably my first two things. And then like practical, like one of your first steps um, would be to narrow down like how you can help people, how you can serve people and start taking one or two like, you know, individual clients or, or consulting in some way. Um, and most of those people I meet online through social media. So beginning at the very beginning, which is get a client or two, don't build a website, don't do anything crazy, just help somebody <laughs> um, and talk about an exchange of funds for that. And, you know, maybe it's a little on the lower end as you're starting, but, you know, getting that first client is kind of like the scariest part about the whole process. And then it kind of unfolds, which I know we'll talk about uh, more as well. But yeah. Yes. And what about if you're at an academic institution and you want to start like a side hustle, see how that goes and, and perhaps eventually transition out. Mm -hmm. Do you need to speak to anyone at the institution that to tell them that, hey, this is what I'm going to do, like a dean or, or a, mm. another professor or something like that? 
The, okay, so um, I want to add a little caveat, disclaimer, that kind of thing. Like, this isn't legal advice in any way, shape, right, or form. Right, right, um, and neither but, of us are lawyers. Right? Um, but I can say from interviewing lots of folks and from recognizing um, what my experience was like, I, so let me start with my experience. I left um, uh, pretty much within like, well, I told, so I left in the fall, like at the end of the fall semester in 2016, like I said, I pretty much went into that semester knowing I was leaving. Like I had this gut feeling that I was going to be done. Um, my consulting business had started to book out. Um, I was making more than my salary and um, a, a couple other like teeny things happened that made me realize that that was what, what my decision was going to be. Um, I hid it from them for a long time, just in fear of what they would say, what they thought about me, which um, some other people that I've interviewed felt similarly. And this is because, you know, we worked for this amazing job to have a tenure track teaching position. Um, my husband also had a tenure track teaching position, which, you know, the academic two body problem, like finding two academics at, at schools to be able to teach full time um, is, is rare. So we had all of that. And then to, you know, quote unquote, leave or walk away, um, you know, I was thinking they would think I was crazy. And I think it was my own reflection of my own fears about it, of course. So yeah, I hit it for a while. And I think I told them in October. Um, and I was really nervous about how my colleagues would react and what they would think of me. Um, and also I felt like, yeah, I was like kind of abandoning them and my students a little bit and, um, you know, walking away from this amazing thing. Um, however, when it comes to the legal side of it, so that, that was my story. And, and by the way, like spoiler, um, they all were like, so happy for me. Everyone was like, go, go do this. Like, <laughs> um, you know, you figured it out like that kind of language. And, um, so that was like, oh yeah, like, um, that is also telling about what's happening in, um, you know, in, in academia, in college, um, at the college level. So, um, Okay, so back to the legal thing. So I've had a couple folks um, tell me that sometimes their contract does say things about any proprietary material or things that are crea created at the institution. They may actually have ownership of it in some way. So if you are taking any sort of like lecture material or content or research that you um, made with in like funding from the universal in university potentially, um, you might not be able to use it in your business. Um, so, you know, I just direct people back to their own individual contracts just to make sure. I have um, some folks that are in my community um, who built businesses on their sabbatical, which is a beautiful time to build a business because you're actually not in the day-to-day -day of teaching and, um, and researching. And so um, there are lots of stories of that as well. And so there are some clauses in sabbatical, you know, funding and, and to be able to make that a possibility for um, the, those professors that uh, they may not be able to create a business on the side or during that. And it depends. Um, so you're, you're going to want to read that as well if you're looking into it. Um, and, I, you know, I've had other folks say that they did want to warn their institution. Um, I'm specifically thinking of like student affairs professionals that I've interviewed, which that's kind of the admin side of academia um, and college, not necessarily the teaching side, which 
it's a little different too. Their contracts look different. And so they wanted to be really clear that they were starting this business and that it was not associated with the institution. So they did go through the proper like kind of channels for that. But that's scary because you don't want, you know, the institution thinking, you know, potentially your management or, or yeah, like the VP is thinking any differently of you on campus while you are still employed. And so that is a scary move. So I would just say my first move would be to look at all contracts that you've signed around your employment and um, intellectual property that's created while at the institution. Perfect. Great advice. Now, cool. let's say you've left your academic post, you started your business. This is not a podcast on how to tell people how to start a business. You know, they can, cool. yeah. there are a billion other podcasts. There are a lot. <laughs> um, but now you've started your business, whether that be a consulting business or you're doing some training, uh, some teaching online, you've maybe perhaps uh, built up a course. Mm. Now you want to be able to get this information out to the public. Yeah. And it's a little different. So let's say we're talking about general public versus mm -hmm. I'm a physical therapist and I'm trying to reach out to other physical therapists. Mm -hmm. I, let's say I'm a physical therapist and I'm trying to reach the general public because I have a course that I've created and, or I, that I think would be great. So how do we do that? Mm. Yeah. yeah. How, do we, how, do you, how do you do that in a way how that, do you doesn't, do that? that doesn't come across as being clickbaity or weird mm. or icky or using information that's not evidence-based? You know, if, we're, yeah. if you're an academic or you're a researcher, you're going to want to use research-based, mm -hmm. peer-reviewed research as mm -hmm. and, uh, hopefully. I don't want to say you're going to. Let's say we hope. It's true. This Your is choice. <laughs> yeah. Let's say we hope this is what you're doing when you're, mm -hmm. when you're consulting or you've created a course. Mm. So how do you get that across to people? Because sometimes it can be a little, you know, dry. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great question. So, um, I, and let me just bring up too. So I run a course creation agency um, called Course Power. I'm like removing it actually from me as, I don't know, a personal brand. So I went out and created a personal brand um, at my website and I was calling myself the rebel professor and I actually helped people with course creation and content um, curriculum as well. And so I'm still running that business. Um, and so the academics mean business is just like, you know, the merging or the integration of those two identities, entrepreneur and academic. Um, but this question, I think it's, it's interesting. And um, it, it, it's interesting because the majority of courses we work on are business type courses, like how to do Facebook ads or um, how to start a photography business. And so a lot of it in this space is like how to make money online, how to make money online in some way. Um, but however, um, I'm noticing an influx of folks. Like I had someone um, who is probably going to work with us in the future, but uh, she came on and she actually does geriatric care, um, and, which is so needed, right? There's so many people taking care of aging parents um, or aging family members. And the la so when we're getting into like, how do we help them? Like, what are the best things to do for them? Having a doctor who's spent their entire career studying that, teaching people the emotional care, the, um, the other things going on, like physically, um, 
important, important work, right? As someone else doing um, like heart, um, uh, like heart health. And so there are a lot of doctors and um, people with, yeah, you know, advanced research based like knowledge and information. Um, and they're, they're boiling it down to the general public. Now there's, I don't even know if this, I guess could be offensive, but like there are quacks out there, right? Who of are course. selling things that aren't yeah. true. Um, yeah. And we've had that, you know, forever. I don't, I feel like as yeah. long as like well, knowledge has existed. Snake and we've oil made money salesmen. Off of them. Exactly. Right? So we're always going to be between that, right? There's always going to be the person who's basically making stuff up because it feels like it's true. And you know, it's a big enough of a pain point that you'll buy it. And so they're fine with that. Um, I think when you enter in as an academic or a researcher with that background, um, you probably aren't okay with that in so many respects. So, um, so what do you do when you're competing with somebody who can boil down, like have, you know, I, I always think of this headline to, um, uh, like, you know, have a glass of wine a day and like, you know, you know, it fights off cancer or something like that. So they boil down like some research studies that show like some of the components that are in, you know, red wine, blah, blah, blah. Right. And so then the general public eats that up and is like, great, I can justify why I drink. Um, but then the, the researcher whose knowledge is cited is like, but you're not actually explaining what's really happening and what the actual study you're citing says. So part of me is like, uh, and we talked about this a little bit, like, you know, coming into this interview, um, you know, we have like a scientific knowledge and, and comprehension problem in mainstream like America, basically, right? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And so there's a lot of but I think that might be changing. So here's what's cool about it is, you know, 20 years ago, yes, you turned on the news and you saw that wine cured cancer and you're like, okay, like, I guess I have no way to challenge it. But now I think with um, like digital media, like YouTube and uh, Twitter and all these sources of how we can put information out there, I think academic researchers who are able to, you know, become true public intellectuals, like take the rigor that, you know, supports scientific research and teach it like we would teach our students, right? Um, we can have a voice and a platform to do exactly that and challenge some of this like media boiled down headline stuff um, that we see all over the place. Um, you know, and yeah, without getting too much into like marketing as a very different beast than the actual course itself, right? <laughs> like you're probably going to want to sell some of them if you want to put the time and energy behind making one. But um, so what sells? And that that's where I, I think even as an academic and in my Academics Mean Business podcast, probably the biggest thing we struggle with is marketing. And I, I, I think it boils down to kind of some of the elements you're bringing up right now. Like there's snake oil things out there. There's people that are saying things that aren't really true. Um, and they're not really, you know, giving those warnings or disclaimers and, um, you know, stuff is just being boiled down because our attention span is so short. So, um, I don't know that I've fully answered the question, but, uh, but I guess, I guess we're talking about how do we boil it down and like sell it to like mainstream audiences. I think, if you think about it like a 101 level course, like I loved my subject. So I taught sociology 
I loved it. And yeah, we would talk about race and ethnicity as an example for one week. And that's a huge topic, right? Yeah. And that's a topic that is so many, um, you know, amazing research and, and things coming out left, right and center. Um, and I only have a week and I have to just like teensy weensy, like touch on some big, big concepts. Um, and so I think we do a disservice by pretending that, oh, well, I can't really teach this because no one's going to listen. I don't think that that's true. Like, oh, they can't comprehend what I'm teaching. It's how, and that is a skill. How do you boil down, um, you know, research evidence, meta-analysis studies of, of, you know, things that you want to teach? How do you boil it down to the general population? you know, what do they need to know to get them the outcome that you're promising? If you start to look at it like that as it relates to a course, um, it's doable. Um, I, I think that instead of making it think that it's boring and dry, it's how do we tap into this? Real, there is this really educated population out there who wants to learn this stuff. My husband is um, starting a membership site teaching physics. And he's going to teach it like he was teaching in his classrooms for people who were, you know, going off to get their med degrees and, you know, pre-med students and nursing and all those people that were so scared of physics. Um, the, cause the mainstream like knowledge of physics is, is not very good. So, but there's going to be people who would love to learn about it at a high level. It doesn't have to be like dumbed down per se, but that, and so that's another part is like, who do you want to be your audience? Do you want it to be someone who, um, you know, I guess in the physical therapy world, if you're looking at health and like day-to-day -day health, like practices, then that would be maybe very um, general audience. But you can boil down the level of where you take your research and um, how far you go um, in your content, I guess, and like how nerdy, quote unquote, you could get with it. And I think that that's part of it too. Like when you start a business, you know, one of the first things you do is imagine your like ideal client or the person mm -hmm. who's going to buy your product. So it doesn't mean you have to be a generalist. Like maybe you can actually be really specific with your content and go really deep because there's probably a population out there that would love it um, because we're really smart, right? There's a bunch of PhDs running around that don't have work. Um, there's a bunch of, I mean, we're an overeducated, you know, um, population for sure. So um, I think there's, there's nuances to it. There's like super mainstream, public, intellectual, and then there's, I think there are audiences for advanced, um, you know, 201, 301, 401 level kind of content. So, yeah. And I think that brings up a really great point is oftentimes we think, well, no one knows what we do. The public doesn't get it. Ah, yes. But I think if you're talking about the public in a very sort of mm. large, the entire population of, let's say the United States, we'll take that mm -hmm. 300 and what, 30 million people. Mm -hmm. But knowing that, listen, there is that subset of 330 million people that might be a million who really want to go a little bit deeper and it's okay to focus on that group. That's kind of what yep. I've got from, from, you know, what you had just said is that it's okay to narrow your focus a little bit to a group of people who you think really want to go a little bit deeper. So you can yep. simplify without dumbing down but just use language that the common person is going to understand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to yep. use all the jargon, you know? Nope. Like I'm sure you have tons of jargon. 
Yep. <laughs> if, you were to, yep. if you were to talk about that with me, maybe you wouldn't use the same jargon you would use mm. talking to a fellow professor. Yep. 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 A hundred percent. And I think, yeah, like I think there are going to be some folks who really nail it with the, like maybe you do want to challenge like, um, you know, common representation of like physical therapy, like research out in the media. That could be your purpose. Um, and for someone else, their purpose, what they feel like they could best serve is maybe teaching like, uh, yeah, a subset of a, a population that wants to go really deep or is a certain age or has this certain like, um, affliction that they, you could help with. And like, they're really into it and they're in the research mode. I can imagine with like medical backgrounds, like, you know, there's a lot of, you know, health stuff online. So, um, you know, I, I think there is, it, it, I think it comes back to, and we can kind of return to this idea of what you were asking, like tips for starting a business. Like, you know, who do you feel best called to serve? And like, what problem are you solving in the world? Which is what I think about. That was a, a mindset shift for me too. Like, oh yeah, entrepreneurs are just solving problems. And, um, and yes, they're getting paid for it, which is a, another different leap that I had to take as an academic. But you know, what problem are you solving? So maybe the problem is like, oh man, I want to debunk all these, like te the terrible advice that's going around online. I mean, that can be your shtick. And like, you could probably make a lot of money helping people, um, you know, by challenging some of that stuff and like helping people on this really concrete, like practical entry level day-to-day -day way. Or, you know, and then there are all these other ways that you can help people. Sure. You can help other physical therapists. You can help, you know, um, you know, that kind of thing. So I think that's the key. And like, what do you feel passionate to help people around? And that's really where you want to start when thinking about, because that, that's the thing about academics and people with like, you know, a bunch of schooling background, um, researchers and the like you know, we know a ton of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we boil it down to like, what's the thing that actually people need help with? And that's where I think we just store a bunch of information that, you know, are just like on shelves in our brain and we're like pulling it out and it's like, oh, that's useful in this conversation or, or this student asked that question. So like I have it in my repository. But when you're going to sit down and teach and sell something, you can't just like empty out and be like, here's everything I know about this subject. That doesn't make sense. You need it to be like really specific. Um, and that gets to the selling piece too. Like what problem are you solving for the person that potentially wants to buy either your course or your program or your one-on-one -on -one, like consulting, for example. Absolutely. So you can do the big brain dump to then mm -hmm. figure out where you want to focus your time, but you don't want to do a brain dump on potential clients. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because then that's just all a little too overwhelming. Well, I mean, this was great. I feel like you've given me a lot to think about mm. and I'm sure a lot of uh, the listeners give them a lot to think about as well. Is there anything that, that we missed mm. that you could think of? Is there anything else where you're like, man, I, I wish we talked about this? Um, that's a really good question. I wrote down... Uh, higher ed has like a PR problem. I don't know. That's so funny because I wrote it down because we were talking about the way you said, um, it triggered for me when you said, um, oh, people don't understand what we do as physical yeah. therapists because yeah. of the jargon, because we're so almost like siloed into our disciplines and the uh -huh. thing we study. Yes. 
Yeah. Right. So that happens obviously all throughout academia. So what's funny though, is we're also seen as very separate from like mainstream society. So um, I even think that like research and like what happens at an institution or what happens like in physical therapy, like as a profession, you don't know, like the general person walking down the street actually doesn't know. And so that PR problem actually might even impact our ability, what we think would be our ability to create a business around our knowledge. But I think it's changing. And um, I think people are starting to say, oh, that's, you know, you know, that's how you do a scientific study, or that's how I use critical thinking to analyze what's coming in my Facebook feed as to whether it's true or not. Like on those most basic levels. And so I think we're at a new, we're at a very pivotal time. And I think it's a really cool time to be alive because it doesn't cost a lot of money to start a business, like start a business online, literally take money for services online through PayPal. Like that's about it. And and um, people are, are wanting to learn more. And the institution doesn't just hold the knowledge anymore. Like we're, we're coming at this like pinnacle of the internet, not just where my students Googling everything and I didn't hold all the information. But now that's even happening on, a, on even a broader level, like the purpose of college and getting a credential or having some sort of professional degree. What does that mean, right? And so we're all negotiating that right now. And we're here kind of starting online businesses and turning around and, you know, contributing to society and getting paid for it. And, and which is a good, an okay thing, a great thing. So, um, yeah, I think just this point that now is a really cool time and you can be a part of getting information out there. Um, the academic who's well-researched and understands how things work, we have things to teach people. And us having a business is actually professionalizing, I think, um, online entrepreneurship and, and um, what's happening in that space. So we're at this turning point. It might feel like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm too smart for the general public. They're not going to get it. No, there's a lot of really smart general public people that probably want to know what you're teaching. So that's how I look at it. And I think that that's a great way to kind of tie it all together. Perfect. Yes. It sounds like the ivory tower is not so imposing mm, anymore, right? Nope. Yep. It's crumbling. Which, which, is, which is great. Which is great news for everyone, right? Yep. It really is. Yep. All right. So I have one more question. Sure. And it's a question that I ask everyone, and I'm going to be, I'm really curious as to your answer. Uh-oh, I'm scared. So, <laughs> you did not prep me for this. <laughs> I forgot. I totally forgot. Um, but no, it's okay. Knowing what you know now in your mm. life and in your business and in your career, what advice would you give yourself as that fresh out of graduate school, PhD holding Lindsay? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Um, your impact is bigger than you probably even uh, can imagine at this moment. And you're like, what you can create is infinite. And if I knew that coming out, I probably would have had more, more reason to take risks, um, more reason to enjoy some of the, the parts of, um, those early years of teaching uh, versus questioning my abilities, but it's all. But I also don't regret any of it, right? Like I, I could sit here and be like, oh, well, I don't really need a PhD to be like doing what I'm doing because I don't, and I have six figures of student loan debt. So wow, that would be nice. But 
that's literally positioned me to exactly where I am. So everything I've done up until this moment has led me to where I am right now. And even just knowing and having that um, perspective at that age or at that stage in my life would have really helped me recognize that I can do whatever, I can do anything. And, I, and that's really powerful to, to fully believe. And I had to kind of step into that. So the advice I would give myself is, is to just be like, you are amazing and are going to do amazing things. And that's really cool to know when you're, you know, finishing a degree and just got a dissertation and not knowing really what next looks like. Um, so yeah, I think that's it. Wonderful advice. And now where can people find you if they want to learn more about you and what you're doing? Yeah. So um, my website is somewhat getting a makeover right now, but it will have the same URL. Um, it might be, well, it probably won't be up by the time this is airing actually, but like September-ish. <laughs> um, so lindsaympadilla.com. It has my middle initial in there. And I also hang out on Facebook and Twitter a little bit. Um, I'm getting more back into Twitter. There's a lot of academics on there. So I'm hanging out there more and more. Yeah. Um, And yeah, of course, my podcast also has a Facebook community. So um, if if this is exciting to you or you're just like, whoa, I want to hang out with other academics or you know somebody, uh, please send them over to the Academics Mean Business community um, because we're having a lot of these conversations there right now. Perfect. And just so everyone, if you're listening while you're running or driving or working out, we'll have everything over at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com under this episode. So one click will take you to the Facebook group and Twitter and to your uh, podcast and website. So amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time out and coming on today. Yay. Thanks for having me. I love the idea of uh, cross-promoting other podcast hosts. That's amazing. And I was glad to be a part of it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. And everyone else, thanks for listening. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thank you for listening. And please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.